Taisei. Hey, Alex. How is your day going now? Going great. You know, March break, late start. Can't complain. So I'll I'll mention to the listeners what I just mentioned to you, which is that I am uh, back uh, home for for reading week, as it is officially called. There's actually a plumber in our house right now, so you might hear some plumbing noises going on a little bit. Um, Hopefully not too crazy. And also for that reason, I'm actually recording up in my bedroom instead of in my basement or instead of in some room at Concordia uh, for the first time uh, in about three years. So getting some flashbacks to uh, Keith Kincaid uh, emoji dissection for those of you who've who've been there since day one. Yeah, we might as well christen it the Keith Kincaid room uh, at this point, as I was saying, you know, it, it, it whenever you're there, it brings... I wouldn't say fortune, but just uh, motion to Keith Kincaid's life because this motherfucker got traded. <laughs> yeah, so the the yeah. biggest trade of the week, That's Keith right. Kincaid uh, for Shane Bowers, of course. Um, yeah, what do you think about that one? Give I me say... ten seconds on it. <laughs> well, I mean, Keith Kincaid. Uh, I mean, the, the, there's been a rotating cast of goalies behind Gurgiev in Colorado, so I guess they wanted some more goalie depth. Uh, and uh, whereas, you know, Time's Boston up. has too many. Go ahead. All right. Time's up. Your time's up. Okay. And Keith Kincaid. No more we Keith Kincaid. We have too Kincaid. much to get to. Okay. Yeah. So um, you might have noticed also we've had to switch to Tuesday this week, which is uh, a correction we, we try to avoid of like two days removed from the weekend. And because of that, we have even more to talk about than we normally would on a busy week. Um, our team is the Lightning but there was a trade that broke about 15 minutes ago or less. Um, and so we're going to start by talking about that. Jesse Pugliarvi, the saga is finally over after all this time. And he is off to who but the Carolina Hurricanes in exchange for Patrick Puistola. And, you know, I've, all the talk it felt like has been like, um, oh, yeah, no one wants to give up anything for him. The Oilers hate him. They can't wait to get rid of him. They'd be lucky to get a second rounder. Like my initial thought was, oh, Puistola, that's not a bad return, but that's only not a bad return based on all the talk surrounding it. Uh, in a vacuum, for you know, the quality of Puyarvi as an asset, objectively versus Puistola, it is quite an underwhelming return. Oh yeah, they they they've set us up to really be like, oh, at least you know, they looks like they got they got something uh, in order to shed his cap space. Uh, whereas, yeah, you look at it as a whole, uh, this this failed project. At every step with Jesse Pugliarvi, um, yeah, it's like, you know, Rangers light where they, they couldn't figure it out with this young player uh, at, with that, you know, or, since since he was drafted for the overall, uh, they, they just crushed the kid. They crushed the kid. They never developed him properly. They never gave him a, you know, a consistent spot in the lineup uh, to really kind of figure it out. We talked about it when he had that quote, I think it was a couple months ago, how he was like, you know, maybe I'm just not cut out for the NHL uh, and shit like that. And so that inevitably drives his value so down to the point where, you know, the, the, we look at Puistola and you're like, okay, well, you know, at least they have the $3 million in cap space that they can go and chase, you know, fucking Vladislav Gavrikov in the next couple of days. Yeah. Um, I With Carolina, like all people are saying, oh, of course, Carolina, you know, this type of thing. Uh, and I can see that for sure. I kind of, I draw a parallel to Kotkaniemi and then being interested in Kotkaniemi, this, you know, high draft pick, uh, kind of gets off to a slow start in his career. Kakanim was, you know, significantly younger 
when he was acquired by Carolina than than Puliyarvi is today. But it's the same type of thing, or even maybe to a more extreme with Puliyarvi, where they were like with Kotkaniemi, and we're going to put him in a position to succeed, going to put him with good players. It's going to be great, and like eh, it hasn't been so great still. And I wonder if with Puliyarvi. I mean, I assume they're going to try the same thing, you know, put him in a position to succeed, uh, give him, you know, better line mates, better minutes, all that, if it's going to work out with him better than it has so far with Kakanyemi. Yeah, I'm looking at their lineup right now, and it's, you know, I do you imagine them putting him in, putting him in like a top six role? Because right now what he needs right now, I think, is some consistency um, and to really kind of figure out his role, um, on you know, say on this new team. And I I don't know if it's to the you know the Canes' great benefit with the top six players that they have to bump them down um, and to put Puliyarvi up there because at this point what how old is Puliyarvi now like twenty four twenty five like uh, I think I think twenty four yeah okay yeah um and I don't know I feel like he's kind of unfortunately because of his stunted development he's kind of settled into maybe like a third fourth line guy. Um, you know, with, with skill, and he can you know drive some play, but I don't know if the fit is there on this particular team, given the level of talent there is, uh, for him for him to slot into that top six. Yeah, yeah, possibly not the top six, um, but like I look at the makeup of the Hurricanes right now, uh, and I see them probably sliding in on the third line with Jordan Stahl and maybe Esper Fast, or maybe Jordan Martinuk, or maybe Paul Stasny, um, and you know. As you say, stability is probably what's most important. And even if it's like, you know, with the Oilers, when he's like on the third or fourth line, it's kind of, you know, with this, you know, it's it's framed as a punishment, you know? In Carolina, it wouldn't be that way. Like, welcome to the team. And now Jordan Stahl is your center. And Jordan Stahl, of course, also, you know, a very strong defensive player, which gives Pugliarfi maybe a little bit more freedom to kind of, you know, uh, to, to be an offensive player and really anything is a, an improved situation over how he was, it was treated in Edmonton. So I, I, I mean, there's nowhere to go, but up, I think is the conclusion. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Fucking playing with Derek Ryan and Ryan McLeod night in, night out. Um, can't imagine that that does good work for you. Uh, so you're right. Hopefully, you know, cheering for the guy. Um, hopefully he can put it together and uh, yeah, just another addition to this Kane's team. They're awfully deep. Uh, just looking at my prediction. Right yeah, my prediction is that the next Puliyarvi in Edmonton is going to be Patrick Puistola because it's a very similar kind of player who also, in like you know the seasons after drafted, has been floated like, oh, he doesn't try, he's not good defensively, all these things, and was actually I think one year surprisingly cut from the Finnish World Junior team for like those types of reasons. Unless I'm, I don't think I'm getting him mixed up with someone else. So and he's you know he's doing quite well in the league this year. If he does end up, you know, signing a deal with the Oilers and making the Oilers, I could see an extremely similar situation playing out. Yeah, no, um, it it seems that the they they can't. It's not it's not a very healthy organization, right? Um, where it doesn't seem that they can properly support and develop these players. And so, if you guys got you got guys like you know, or you have these kind of questions, um, it doesn't feel like it's an environment to thrive in. Uh, and I think that's part of why they've had so many struggles just getting homegrown talent in there uh, is this team can't fucking develop. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to our team this week. Uh, we watched the Lightning. Um, because it's been so long since our last episode, they've played four times. 
Uh, and I mean, you know, it's the Lightning. So any struggles they do have, uh, we always go, eh, but it's the Lightning. I think I, I was getting a lot of flashbacks to uh, watching the Lightning last year. They had a bad week and we're like, yeah, it's Tampa. They'll figure it out. And then, you know, they make this Stanley Cup final, of course. Um, so we're going to run through these maybe a little quicker than usual uh, because we have so much other stuff to get to. Um, but I mean, first game of the week was a 6-1 win over the Anaheim Ducks. Kind of speaks for itself. I mean, as anytime we watch a team against the Ducks uh, and the Ducks get absolutely destroyed, it doesn't really tell us that much to begin with. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Ducks just standing around uh, for most of the game, just awful defensively, left and right. I don't even think we need to go through the goals. They're, they're all kind of similar. It's fucking Lucas Dostal playing, and that certainly didn't help matters for the Ducks. Uh, and yeah, the Lightning can move the puck at will in the offensive zone while the Ducks completely collapse in on themselves. And, you know, that's how you had, you had, that's how you had goals in the power play, just a 5-on-5. Five five. Um, yeah, the, 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 looks, the Ducks look awful, especially defensively. And obviously they can't generate anything offensively either. Yeah, and then the, we get to actually learn a little bit about Tampa maybe in their next game against a competent team in the Buffalo Sabres. How often have you been able to say that in the past 12, 12 years? Um, and Tampa actually lost 6-5 in overtime. Um, they got, I would say, torched by Tage Thompson a few, t- three times. He scored a hat trick, another one. I'm not sure how many that is on the year. Um, the big story with this game, though, was the overtime goal scored by Ilya Labushkin, uh, where uh, Stamkos had the puck. Labushkin kind of hooks him, and Stamkos falls down. Then Ilya Labushkin gets a, a wicked breakaway goal. Did you think this was a botched call? Ah. You know, like, I, I, do I call, you know, botched call? I'm, I'm done calling, you know, botched calls and whatnot because they're so inconsistent that, you know, I'm sure they didn't call this exact play a hundred times over over the course of the game. And I'm sure they called a couple of them. Um, it's just, what do you expect? Honestly, it, it, it's kind of rolling the dice. And so am I like, you know, I, I don't get up in arms about even something as key as this. Um, but, for, you know, it did look like a hook though. Objectively speaking, that probably should have been a penalty. But given the consistency of the officiating up to this point overall in the league, I wasn't surprised. And I wasn't like, you know, they got jobbed or anything because this is just the, the lay of the land at this point. I don't know. I I think I think uh, Stamkos kind of just lost an edge and tried to put on a little bit of a show. I'm not one to accuse yeah. players of diving. But I am accusing Stamkos of diving a little <laughs> bit on that one. I don't know. No, I, I could certainly see the argument for that. Uh, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't outright blatant. I don't think we we had a shot where, the, you know, they zoomed in and shit on, on the alleged hook. Um, yeah, it sure didn't look like it ticked much, though, uh, to take him down. Um, funny to see fucking Ilya Labushin score an overtime goal. <laughs> Yeah, that was neat. Uh-huh. Another um, something yeah. else we learned in these first two games is that apparently Ross Colton is like a big one timer threat now. Yeah, what's uh, up with from that? Like, the, Kut- up the right circle, <laughs> like second power play unit. This motherfucker, like Kucherov light. Uh, was, there was one point. No, when the they tied at the when they tied this game to make yeah. it five five in the in the last few minutes, it was like a power play goal, like a pass across the ice from Stamkos. I, I, is that the second unit or is that like? Rascal, Ross Colton on the top unit being like, you know, the the big threat guy that Stamkos is passing to. I, I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't line checking there. Um, but yeah, I mean he, he was he was shooting from that right side though where Kucherov usually is, right? Um 
Yeah. So, yeah, interesting, certainly. And, you know, just adds another dimension to that power play. If they can roll, like, two units with bona fide weapons on both of them, uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, one kind of pattern I noticed on a lot of these Sabres goals, um, but even throughout the week, later in the week, uh, this this Lightning team, very aggressive offensively. When they're in the offensive zone, they tend to pinch a lot. And, man, does it sometimes bite them in the ass hard. Uh, we're, you know, talking like, yeah, they're, they're just caught offensively just being too aggressive all the time. Like Thompson's first goal, uh, like they committed three guys on a shorthanded chance. Hagel loses the puck and they go the other way. And Thompson's on a three-on-one and they score. Uh, Thompson, you know, Tage's second goal. Uh, Chernak was caught like two forward and kind of no man's lad with Tage Thompson, like already way behind him. Um, yeah. Uh, on the Jack Quinn goal, the fourth, goal, <laughs> on the fourth goal, Hedman pinches on the bad choice. And it leads to the Sabres rush the other way, uh, that ends up in the back of their net. And then obviously, you know, Stamkos, the last guy back fucking around gets hooked or maybe doesn't get hooked. Labouche can break away. Um, yeah, just a pattern I noticed. Interesting. Obviously, you know, with a guy like Hedman, a lot of his game is activating and being aggressive. Um, but, you know, just in general, saw it, it did lead to a lot of defensive lapses for this team um, that led to some real good chances the other way. Yeah, this might be trying to, to look too hard into finding a, a cause for this. Um, but like the biggest difference between Tampa's roster last year and this year is probably the absence of Ryan McDonough they traded him to Nashville and that was you know one of their big strengths one of their many big strengths during their runs to the finals in recent years was that one two three on the left side on defense that they had one really solid defense and Hedman McDonough Sergachev all the way down on the left side of the defense and McDonough of course you know not such a flashy player more of a you know that stabilizing presence who you're probably not going to catch pinching do you think does a player like that actually like kind of impact the style of all the other defensemen, or am I am I stretching too far? No, I think I, I think we we see constantly uh, where you know your your partner matters, and if you have comp- complementary play styles, uh, for example, you know a guy who's more defensively minded and a guy who really plays better by activating and really kind of joining the rush and being aggressive, uh, they can really complement each other, and you know they can cover for the flaws of the other while generating some good offense. Um, and if you take out a guy like Ryan McDonough. And you replace with him, you replace him with like Nick Perbix. Uh, maybe that aggression that you had last year, you don't have that safety valve behind you, and you know you you get significantly less defensive stability. Um, yeah, if I were to point out a hole in this roster, defensively, it looks like it had they have taken you know a step back. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, and in their next game. A three nothing win over the Red Wings. They got absolutely destroyed, despite the fact that they won. <laughs> yeah. Outshot forty five to eighteen. Vasilevsky with a shutout. It was an incredibly terrible game on their part. Um, I mean, Braden Point gets his thirty fifth goal of the year, blew by uh, Jake Wallman on a pass from Kucherov. Uh, then Kucherov gets credit for a goal which goes off of Jake Wallman. And very interestingly, even though both these goals were directly, uh, you know, Jake Wallman is to blame in large part, I actually thought Jake Wallman was pretty impressive <laughs> for most of it. And he did just get a new contract. I think it was three by 3.4. And then uh, Kalorna ends up getting the empty netter. But besides that, like Tampa Bay also hit like a bunch of posts. Like they could have had a one or two or maybe even like three more goals 
somewhat easily. And for 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 uh, the Red Wings, really the story was just like they were getting you know a lot of shots. You know, volume was a part of it. Uh, and Vasilevsky also just made a ton of great saves. And with Vasilevsky, I feel like something we've talked about is. Oh, is he, you know, he's going to get tired. He's been like the guy for Tampa. Whereas, you know, platooning is becoming a trend throughout the league. Vasilevsky has been the number one uh, in Tampa Bay for years and years. Brian Elliott is the backup. When he plays, he's terrible. (laughs) And is Vasilevsky ever going to get tired? And er earlier this year, it was looking like maybe he was. His numbers weren't quite up to snuff. But, you know, then, of course, you have a game like this where he looks like the best in the world again. Yeah, no kidding. Doesn't look tired at all. And he's, you know, papered over a lot of lightning holes that, you know, fucking Brian Elliott obviously cannot do. If you will, if you look at the, the Penguins game that came up the next day. Um, but yeah, no, he really, this was a game. Vasilevsky completely stole it uh, head to toe. I mean, there were like six, seven crazy saves that this guy had, you know, just outstretched. This guy moves from left to right, like, you know, nobody else. Uh, and... Yeah, like, I don't know what it is. He always he always manages to, especially like stick his pad out uh, and make that save on the extremity where a lot of goalies wouldn't be able to make it. Uh, and yeah, I agree on Jake on on the point of Jake Wallman. Uh, I think on that left side of the guys that they've signed recently of Sherratt, you know, Ali Mata, Jake Wallman. He's certainly my favorite. Um, I think he's the best one, which is uh, you know. Further supports my point that they really shouldn't have signed Oli Mata, and obviously shouldn't have signed Ben Sherratt, um, mid-ass left side of the defense over over there in Detroit. Um, but yeah, no, it, Detroit really dominated that game, not only in you know the the shot department, but it really did feel like they had like seven, eight, nine grade A scoring chances. It wasn't just volume; uh, they had a whole bunch of quality. Uh, but yeah, Vasilevsky <laughs> just couldn't get it past Vasilevsky, and no, you could you could see it in you know. Th- the Detroit phases, especially like Lark, and I remember after one shot in particular, uh, he like you know put the put his head you know looked out toward the sky and whatnot. Classic sign of frustration. Uh, and yeah, no, he was getting to them. And, and for a team that really wanted in Detroit, because they you know you look at the standings, they've made a bit of a push toward the playoff race. Um, no, they were looking like a team that was hot, and yet Vasilevsky managed to completely stifle them. Starting next year, Ben Sherat, Jake Wallman, and Olimata will account for $11.15 million in cap space. Oh, boy. How does this make you feel? <laughs> that's, that's awful. My God. You could come up with a, a whole long list of superstar players that make less than that. Yeah, no kidding. Jesus Christ. Um, that, is some, that is some bad investment by Mr. Iser plan. Terrible. Yeah, it's it's kind of... Everyone with you know, Detroit kind of on the playoff bubble, it's insane, like... People were just talking about how, oh, the eyes are plan, you know, it's it's not all it was cracked up to be. It's not really working. And now they're like in, you know, striking distance of the wild card spot. And he's a genius again. It's insane that he <laughs> that he has this reputation. I don't get it. What, what is it? They, they, they have a good 10 game stretch and all of a sudden everybody's back on the train. For the record, I am not on the train. Uh, I think. Oh, even <laughs> if they make the playoffs, I'm not on the train. Yeah, nothing will will change my perception right now, uh, because especially because of this left side of the defense. Um, yeah, you 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 locked up, fucking your, fuck Sherrod Mata. What is that like eight million dollars on its own? That's that's a joke for like a seventh and Almost. eighth defenseman. My God, <laughs> embarrassing. Well, that's a little. I'd say Mata is like a four or five, and Sherrod we can call him a seven. 
Can we? Can we? You're being very generous to I'll Ben Sherrod. He's a nine. You think calling him a seven is generous? Yeah, I think calling him a seven is generous. This guy shouldn't be anywhere near an NHL roster. Are you kidding me? This guy has such negative value. I'd rather bring up some NHL scrub on a league minimum contract and have him play, even if the cap it didn't matter for Ben Sherrod. Uh, he's awful. He doesn't do anything. He's just big and hits. D minus player. Okay. F player. F player. You heard it here first. Uh, all right. Final game for the Lightning of the Week. Uh, was a 7-3 loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, I mean, the big thing here was the stretch of about four and a half minutes late in the second period in which the Penguins scored and the Lightning gave up six goals. That's right, in four and a half minutes. I was started with Evgeny Malkin scoring one uh, out of the penalty box. You know, happens sometimes. Uh, and then, oh, no, it was, that wasn't uh, near the end. That was closer to the start of the period. And then when we skip ahead to four and a half minutes left in the second period, Crosby gets a power play goal on the doorstep, uh, somehow missed by both uh, Victor Hedman and Pierre-Edward Belmar. Less than a minute later, Brian Elliott, who's in net for the Lightning, by the way, fails to hug the post, and the puck sneaks out to Teddy Bluger in the wide-open crease. Minute and a half later, Jeff Carter uh, snipes over Brian Elliott's glove, 5-2, 5-2. Less than a minute later, everyone leaves Jason Zucker wide open in the slot, 6-2, and then to, to cap it all off, it's a Brian Dumoulin slap shot with about five minutes left. His first of the year, that's when you know things are going badly for you. I'd say this was uh, the second most embarrassing moment for the Tampa Bay Lightning this week. <laughs> a bit of a teaser, i say. Um, but yeah, that was that was bad. That, 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 that stretch, they looked so fucking discombobulated. The entire team, starting from Brian Elliott, who, you know, even on that first goal, I don't know, like, he, he it, was, it, was, it was a Penguins power play, all right? And they iced the puck. All right. It was going to be an icing. The Lightning had the first guy back, except he touches it. It goes off the boards. It kind of ends up in the, you know, right next to him. And he plays the puck for no good reason, waving off the icing and then gives it away right away to a Penguins player. That's why they were so discombobulated. That's why Crosby's wide open on the back door. Uh, and then obviously you mentioned he can't, he can't squeeze the post on that blue goal. Um, and, and then otherwise, the Lightning just defensive structure completely out of whack. I mean, you look, right before the Jeff Carter goal, um, which is crazy that I can even say that because it happened so soon after the Bluger goal. Uh, but there was another chance, like Latang had a completely empty net that Brendan Hagel, you know, managed to save uh, to no avail, basically, because they scored 30 seconds later. But Brian Elliott, yet again, just swimming, completely swimming, fucking six feet out of the net. Ridiculous. Uh, and otherwise, yeah, Lightning, you know, losing the board battles all over the place. The reason Zucker was able to score that goal is because he had four guys on the boards. Oh, you got four guys on the boards. Obviously, you're going to leave a few people all alone. Um, yeah, so defensively, like I was saying, both in transition, but also in their own zone, apparently, significant moments of weakness, I got to say. Yeah, absolutely. And one wonders if this is just a flash in the pan and it's the type of thing that they can just clean up come playoff time and recent history would show yes yeah absolutely i mean <laughs> you won't see me betting against them too much uh i will start in the first round i will be picking them against toronto you don't even have to ask me uh fucking in april i've already made up my mind um yeah certainly but uh, yeah, some concern. Is there? Is, there's not even yeah. a party that's tempted to say this is the year for the Leafs. No, and then are you after kidding me? Picking against them, after picking against them every year and being correct, and then making the switch. What if this is the time and you you jumped on the year at exactly the right spot? How smart you would look! 
No, over my fucking dead body. And also, everybody, everybody else is like, you know, oh, the Leafs got this, the Leafs got that. The fucking Jake McCabe, Ryan O'Reilly, oh, this is their year. Everybody's saying it's their year. You know, all this optimism. I won't be the only one. I won't look smart. I'll just look like a fool when they lose in six games to the Lightning. All right? That's the only thing that's going to happen. Wow. Not yeah, even right. Like seven this time. So I am, I am step back. taking the Lightning. You already decided. Set in stone. The Leafs could win every single one of their games to the end of the season. All right, and the Lightning could barely squeak and hold on to that third seed. I'd still pick the Lightning. All right, and I'd feel no discomfort about it whatsoever. And then I, if I regret it, I regret it afterwards. But I sure as shit won't regret taking the Leafs because I'm not doing that. You know, I think I'm pretty much in the same boat as you. I was just trying to to plant a seed in your head. You're trying to goad me. I really do agree with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> trying to trying to tempt you, trying to t- like uh, the 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 apple in the garden okay. of Adam and Eve or whatever. Yeah. Um. Anyway, time to move on to the number one most embarrassing thing the Tampa Bay Lightning did this oh, week, boy. which was trade Calfoot a fifth round pick, a fourth round pick, a third round pick, a second round pick, and a first round pick for a guy who has five goals this year, <laughs> Mister Tanner Janot. Uh, oh, fuck. Oh, man. Now, okay. So when I first you know saw this Friedman tweet, I didn't even register everything that was i saw like calfoot first and a second and i think my brain went like wow there's no way it could possibly be more than that so i'll stop reading the tweet now uh, and i didn't realize until later on that there were three more picks involved um now okay uh i'll, I'll pass it to you i'll let you kick this one off actually before i talk okay this is categorically insane we've seen the lightning do this you know everybody's talking about it like oh they had the the, the this and the that and the goodrow and the coleman and they've done this in the past and it's worked out that's great all right but this is a whole new level all right those other players you know people were relatively high on them you know analytic darlings tanner Jano is so fucking mid all right it's incredible he's just some forechecking guy he's got grit whatever whatnot um but yeah the key point is he has five fucking goals and you gave up five picks, and now you don't have a pick till the sixth round. And now I will it, – it, it's just a crazy overplay, all right, for a guy who, you know, is A, a restricted free agent at the end of the season. Um, so, you know, you have a degree of control, but also he has all the leverage because you just gave up five picks for the guy. Um, and, yeah, now they – granted, he was only costing 800 k this year, so, you know, it, they, he fits under the cap. But that is small consolation – uh, for a team that just gave up five picks. Now, I will give this... There was this quote that I saw from Julien Brisebois. And that, he, you know, everybody was talking about it. He was like, oh, you know, the draft picks in general are quite overvalued in this league. Uh, and so he feels much more comfortable, like, giving them and trading them away. And that's fair. You know what? I will give him that. These general managers are too obsessed with these picks. They are valued too much. However, the fact is... All of them, except maybe Julian Brisebois, are obsessed with these picks. And so the market tells you that you don't need to give five picks to get Tanner Jano. Um, You know, you can be comfortable with it, but you should not be doing it because it's an outright overpay. There's no other way to put it. And for a player as mid as Tanner Jano, it doesn't make any sense. Go ahead. I agree with you on all fronts. Um, I would just like to, uh, to point out the fact the first round pick they gave up is 2025 and the second is 2024 so the picks are spread out but they had already traded away their first and second this year the first rounder in the brandon hagel trade second rounder and i'm not sure what but they don't have it and they got i think a sixth and two sevenths as of now for this upcoming draft um so yes everyone of course is pointing out you know the blake coleman the barclay goudreau 
Brandon Hagel. The Blake Coleman one, that made sense. Blake Coleman was a great player. You know, he still is pretty good, but he was great for the Lightning. Exactly what they needed. Do they win those two cups without him? I don't know. Uh, Brandon Hagel has been excellent. And he was, of course, you know, the one and a half million locked in for several years. And this year, you know, he's on the top line. He's produce, producing excellently, an incredible bargain. He was worth the price they gave up. Barkley Gaudreau is the only one where it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, they won the cup. Would They just probably didn't need him. Honestly, they, they probably would have won just fine without him. Um, but Tanner Juneau, as you say, is kind of the next level of it in the sense, I think, I do think he is a more valuable player than Barkley Gaudreau was when they acquired him. Um, and I do think they will, they believe they'll be able to like reignite some of the scoring touch he had last year, you know, the, the 24 goals in the rookie season, all that. Um, the first thing though, of course, is as you say, even though it makes sense, you know, rhetorically to trade your picks for the now, you have to figure out where if say I'm Tampa Bay, I'm willing to trade my first, second, third, fourth, and fifth round pick for this year. You have to ask yourself, uh, what's the most I can get for these picks? You know, and maybe it's it's somewhere other than Tanner Janot. It almost definitely is. Um, so that's really where the botch dropped. Even if this goes perfectly, and even if you know the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, and so you know it's pretty much impossible to roast them for this. The fact still remains that today they can get or I guess they could have gotten more for what they gave up than Tanner Janot. Um, and there's also, as soon as they made the trade, I was like, oh, it's kind of similar to Hagel. He's probably locked in super cheap for at least a year after this. That's not the case. He's an RFA at the end of the season. He's making the 800K now, but the two options for the Lightning are he continues to be bad this year, and then you get to sign him for cheap, but who cares because he's bad. Or he, you know, is excellent and you know he scores a ton of goals and you win the stanley cup which or even if he's you know if you don't win the stanley cup the worst option if he's great on like say i don't know your playoff run uh and then you've got to sign him for you know more then all of a sudden the whole reason you got him of that he's cheap is out the window and now you've got like a, a middle six forward i'll say but probably a third liner if we're being you know honest uh that you gave up five draft picks in calfoot for yeah, it's incredible. How did they not figure out an extension before making out making this trade? You give up five draft picks, and you can't figure out an extension. Like, you, how do you leave yourself so vulnerable to getting extorted by this man uh, at the end of the season? I don't understand. Um, I mean, granted, maybe it'll work out, but you know, you when we evaluate the trade, we look at you know the market value that they got, and did they pay? Did they pay too much relative to that? And I can confidently say. They completely did. I mean, I saw some quotes from like you know anonymous executives, and they're like, "Our, I think it was a Pierre LeBrun article or whatnot." Um, but it was like our jaws dropped and whatnot because yeah, this was a crazy overpay. Uh, and uh, so on the Predators side of things, are you kidding me? <laughs> you you got this guy who's extremely he's okay, right? He shot twenty percent last year, shot the lights out, and this year he's kind of falling back to earth, shooting five percent. Um, and you managed to extract this haul for a guy who's playing in your middle six. That's crazy. What what a move. Um, I mean, granted. I have a question. Yeah, go ahead. Because this was, of course, hours after it was announced that David Poyle's retiring at the end of the season. And that Barry Trotz is taking over for him. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Barry Trotz is taking over the GM duties now. But David Poyle isn't officially retiring till June 30th. Is that true? 
Is that the case? I thought I thought he was I thought uh he was Barry Trotz is in the building now, but not taking over general manager duties till June. That's that was my understanding. Okay. Okay, because I at first was under the impression that Barry Trotz got into the GM seat and then like <laughs> ten hours later pulled off this absolute larceny. And I was like, wow, you know, Barry Trotz, incredible stuff. Um, but maybe that is not exactly the case. Uh yeah, let me let me read through this article. Uh, no, he will become the general manager on July first. So this is okay. David Paul's work. You know, it's a good way to leave things. Just in time to offer sheet ten or to know. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'll give him that. You know, this guy is really kind of fallen off in terms of his general manager performance. See the other trade he made this week. You know, with Nino Niederreiter, but. This one, it's a good one. I will give him an A plus for this trade. Now, granted, I don't know if you know this was uh if this was him playing hardball or Breezebush showing up with like this massive bag and he's like, all right, sure, sounds good. Completely unprompted. I don't know how much credit we can give David Poyle, but I'll give him I'll, I'll give it to him anyways. Yeah, I think it is mostly probably the Lightning picking their player, going, that's the one we want. That's the one we'll get at all costs. It's Tanner Janot. I don't know if you remember, um, but before the Seattle expansion draft, Nashville uh, had a very uh, odd approach to things. Or it, it wasn't it wasn't stupid, but it was odd in that like um, they went the eight skater protection route, and yeah. then they ended up protecting five defensemen and three forwards, which for the makeup of their team at the time actually made sense. And one of the three forwards they protected was Tanner Janot, who had barely played in the NHL at that point. And we were like, I mean, this kind of goes to show the state of the Predators forwards that they're like, yeah, we'll we'll protect this guy who's like played in the ECHL this season. And I think we might have even pronounced it Tanner Genot because we didn't even know who he was at that point. And you know, it worked out for Genius. them. Look at look at all look at everything they got. He was actually protecting a first, a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth. You think about it that way. And Calfoot. And Calfoot. Genius move in hindsight. But I'm sure he was planning this years in advance. So good for him. And the other thing, the other thing that's been pointed out about Tampa Bay with this deal is that Calfoot, uh, his cap hit is 850K. So Tampa Bay has cleared about $50,000 in cap space, which now allow them to call up, uh, to, to basically clear up an extra roster spot for someone making a, a small amount of money, such as uh, Alex Barry-Boulet or Jamel Smith. Um, so is that worth all they gave up in in draft capital, no, but now they get you know to have a 14th forward traveling with them, yeah, good for them, small consolation. Um, but yeah, there, there you have it. So, yeah, that's that's your trade. Anything else you want to add before maybe we move to the other Nashville trade this week, or do we just want to talk about David uh, Poyle and Barry Trotz? Yeah, let's spend more time on how insane it is that Barry Trotz that's is going to be a general manager. Fucking nuts, you know, I thought I misread that headline. Uh, when it popped up on my phone, I'm like, Barry Trotz. Predators general manager, just just an insane twist of twist and turn in the story, isn't it? Really, yeah. I mean, because he started out, you know, as you know, the Nashville coach. I'm pretty sure he was hired right at their inception. Yep. And he stuck around for 16 years. Was not fired. Just contract expired. He walked to Washington. Wins the Stanley Cup. There was that whole thing. Goes to Islanders. You know, and Barry Trotz. You know, many people think of him as the best coach in the world. I probably would have him number one on my list or at least very close to the top. And so, you know, every team wants him or at least, you know, any most reasonable teams do, you know, Winnipeg was 
was talking to him. They're like, please come to Winnipeg. And for the team was like, come coach us, Barry Trotz. He was like, I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to go on vacation. And he decides, you know, coaching, he's, he's mastered that already. You know, he brought the Islanders to the conference finals twice in a row. Like what an incredible achievement. He got that Stanley Cup ring from being a coach. So, you know, this is, you know, he's taking the next step. He wants to challenge himself more. You know, I respect it. I respect someone who, you know, wants to break new ground, ambition, wants to learn something new, wants to succeed in a different field. And, you know, I, I've got to say, David Poyle, when all is said and done, you know, the GM of the National Predators from the very start to the very end of his career, never getting fired. He's he's going out on his own uh, on his own terms. What a major disappointment, though, from start to end. Really, seriously. An absolute... <laughs> An absolute terrible job done. He, besides yeah. one trip to the Stanley Cup final, uh, he had a team that toiled in you know mediocrity or in like slightly above mediocrity for the vast majority of its existence. You know, I think of you know the stretch from about 2011 to 2015, more or less, when they you know they would consistently make the playoffs, but their top forward was like Patrick Hornquist, you know, that type of thing. Um, and yeah, then he, you know, in an effort to go trade for big names, gets Ryan Johansson, brings in Matt Duchesne, you know, and it's like, oh, really, this is the best we can do? Because, you know, did they draft a single, did David Poyle ever draft a star forward? I'm almost certain the answer is no. Um, that Which is an absolute... It's a nightmare, really. And it goes to show why, I mean, they should, they got close to winning the Stanley Cup that, that one time. Uh, you know, if you're on the job that long, you're bound. To, and they were an eight seed that year, too. So it's not like that was totally uh, foreseen. He got that President's Trophy to his name, sure. But I am, I'm fairly confident uh, that Barry Trotz is going to... Uh, I was going to say I'm fairly confident he's going to be able to turn the ship around. That's not totally true because <laughs> yeah. I can't give him credit for the ten- tenders or no trade, you know. Um, but as oh, here, here's what I'll say. As long as Barry Trotz uh, tears it down and does a rebuild, I think I think Nashville, you know, will be in better hands with him than they were with David Poyle because he had over two decades on the job and a President's Trophy and a trip to the Stanley Cup final to show for it. Hmm. You know, on that point, on the point of rebuild, did you see the quote? He said he's doing a reset, not a rebuild. We talked about, you know, how they love that vocabulary. Oh, well, yeah, we, we all know what that means. Yeah, but that's that's the deal. There's your quote from Barry Trotz. Uh, so, yeah, on David Poyle, I don't know what kind of blackmail he had, honestly, uh, but to keep the same job and do as mediocre as you did in a, such a competitive industry uh, for fucking 26 years, all right, that's insane. That is that is crazy. I don't know what kind of blackmail you had on the owners of the Preds, but God damn it. Did he, did they ever like take the bait on this guy uh, and refuse to acknowledge any sort of mistake and keeping him on? Um, yeah. Like you said, the, the, the especially the forwards, um, not a good track record. And after, you know, 26 years in a league where, you know, for most of it, it was thir- for most of the time it was 30 teams. I was 32. You know, honestly, like odds are, you should at least get one, maybe cup. You know, if you're <laughs> if you're spending that much time, yeah. yeah seriously, like, like how, how many visions do you get to exact? You know, how many visions of teams uh, do you get to exact over like literally a quarter of a century? That is insane. More than that, um, just crazy. And so extreme. And and the other part of it, yeah, Barry Trotz, crazy. Another part of it, like the fact that you know he decides apparently in like December. Fuck it. I don't want to coach anymore. I'm done with this shit. And then his, you know, we've seen people, you know, stop coaching, going to, you know, the get kicked upstairs 
but they usually start in a lesser role, you know? Maybe assistant general manager, maybe general manager of the minor league team. This guy decides he doesn't want to coach anymore, hasn't done any general manager work as far as I'm aware uh, in his life. And, you know, when, when asked about it, he was like, oh, you know, I, I think I know what it's like. I've been around general managers for fucking many years. Um, so that's, that's, his, that's his A1 experience, apparently. He gets the top job in Nashville. That's crazy to me. That is absolutely nuts. This guy decided two months ago he didn't want to be a coach anymore, has no general manager experience, and all of a sudden he's the general manager of the National Predators. That's like, <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know how you say you have, you're fairly confident or even slightly less than that uh, in terms of his ability on the job because he hasn't done it. He has no track record as a general manager. This is, this is insane to me. Um, like, I'm sure he's qualified. I'm sure he's a smart guy. Um, and you very well might succeed. But I think it's it's categorically crazy to just hire this guy top job day one. It's nuts. He's, he, <laughs> he strikes me as someone yeah. who's going to be bold, which is a quality that GMs tend to lack across the board. Um, I could absolutely foresee a situation where Barry Trotz comes in and like shakes up the entire league by embarrassing all the other GMs with, within the first year. Just based on his personality, how much better he was as a coach. And I know it's a different skill set, coach versus GM. But, you know, it's the same sport and it's the same person with the same kind of, you know, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? The same kind of, you know, I get inklings towards success. There's a specific word I'm missing, but I, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Sure, I get it. But I, okay. I have no idea what to expect from this guy. You know, he might be a complete dud. And we've seen that. Coaches, and all sorts of sports, coaches move up to general managers and they stink. They stink it up. They build a terrible roster. Um, because it's just such a different role. He might be good at both. He might be just be that good at hockey. Um, but I just... The, the, the extremes are so extreme on this guy in terms of the possible outcomes. Yep. Um, all right. Well, good luck to Barry, I guess. Let's move on to every other thing that happened this week. And I want to start with... Uh, the big one, the Timo Meyer trade. How's that sound? Sure. Let's roll. Yep. So, of course, the funny thing with this one was that it was announced, confirmed, Timo Meyer's going to the Devils at about what, what four in the afternoon. And it was hours later before all the details were finally out. And uh, it's not so hard to see why after you see them all, because there were 13 <laughs> pieces involved. And, man, this is the... I never would, could have imagined a trade with so many pieces with relatively so few of them actually mattering. Um, so, I mean, it was Timo Meyer and a fifth round pick and what is essentially four contract slots going to the New Jersey Devils in uh, Scott Harrington, Santeri Hadaka, Zachary Amon, and Timur Ibrahimov. Hadaka is a maybe, you know, he's like a 23-year-old AHL defenseman who's been injured a lot this year. Maybe there's something there. Scott Harrington, maybe we'll get into a few games for you this year. Um, but basically, it's contract balancing, that type of thing. And New Jersey gives up for this, I would say, star winger. Uh, first round pick, a second round pick that could become a first if they make the conference finals this year or next. Um, Shakir Muhammadulin, our favorite. <laughs> Nikita Okatiak, Fabian Zetterland, Andreas Janssen. I think there was also a seventh round pick in there, too. So that was it. The first thing I want to say is that most people were kind of thinking, oh, this is kind of an underwhelming return for the Sharks. And I think the key factor why a lot of people think that 
is that is Shakir Muhammadulin. Um, and it because this is an extremely polarizing player. We talked about it when he was drafted and when he was at the World Juniors, um, that some are very high on him, including the team who drafted him 20th overall, and some are very low on him, including us at the time. I have, you know, I've been reading more a little bit about him since he was, you know, traded the other day. And it looks like he has shown strides. Uh, he's playing quite well in the KHL. I think he's like top... 25 in points for defenseman in the KHL, you know, pretty impressive, especially for someone who I think is like uh, 20 or 21, you know, and actually the talk is he may like be over in San Jose playing in the NHL by, by the end of the year. And uh, Mike Greer, I said, we expect he's going to be a mainstay in our top four for a very long time. So it goes to show they value him like a, the 20th overall pick that he was. They think very highly of him. Uh, and that is possibly a big reason why the general fan maybe doesn't know much about him or doesn't like him, tends to think this return was very underwhelming. And they may not be wrong to do so, but this is why Mike Greer, you know, thinks he's done well. Yeah, I guess so. I, I think, but even so, the fact that they didn't get, you know, a guy like, like a, a more brand name guy in terms of their prospects, like an Alex Holtz, maybe even like a Dawson Mercer or like a Luke Hughes, uh, that puts a damper on things, you know? Uh, and I feel like, you know, like, okay, Shakir McCown, obviously nice prospect. I think obviously the, the range of outcomes is large, but you average it out. Decent, decent asset, I guess. Um, I wouldn't be, you know, over the moon about it, but it's all right. Um, I think what the devils have done here is the opposite of what the lightning did. And this is my first impression. The lightning were clearly just so desperate to get this guy and gave up the sun and the moon and were willing to do it from the bat. And it seems like the devils were just as desperate to get Timo Meyer with good reason in this case. All right. Because He's yes. a qualified star. That's that's one difference. But also, uh, we've been talking about like new, like everybody's been making that fit. New Jersey, Timo Meyer for like weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and it seems like the Devils had a sort of price that they wanted to set, and they kind of stuck with it. Um, there were other teams that you know you heard them like the Blues, fuck, and the Golden Knights, and and other teams that were interested and maybe asked around, but nobody stuck it out like the Devils. And I feel like they negotiated uh, to a point where the return is not overwhelming for them whatsoever. They get to keep, you know, the best the best parts of their pipeline. And you know, they 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 get the guy. They get Timo Meyer um at a at a reasonable price. So I think who's their general manager again? Is it Tom Fitzgerald? Yes, I believe so. I think he did a a, a great job at keeping like not letting, you know, not letting San Jose really kind of dictate the price and not outbidding himself like Tampa Bay did. Um, because you look at this overall package, you know, Fabian Zetterlund, nice piece. You know, we wa- we watched one, we watched the Devils earlier this year. I was impressed. I was like, damn, he really, you know, seems to have taken a step forward, uh, a big key to kind of supplementing that depth for the, for the Devils. Um, so, you know, good stuff in that respect, but nowhere near the impact Timo Meyer is going to have. And so, and also Scott Harrington, don't, don't, don't diss the guy. Solid, solid defensive depth. So you get that nice little cherry on top. Love the straight for the Devils. Uh, and, and the Sharks, it felt like, you know, they that, that bidding war just never materialized. And so it's a nice return. You know, a bunch of nice pieces, but no real superstars uh, coming back. Yeah, I mean, I would say right from, there was no, like, someone like Luke Hughes or Dawson Mercer, or maybe even Alex Holtz, probably would have been, you know, a non-starter. But honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Greer actually prefers Muhammadulin to Alex Holtz. Because um, it seems like there are some spheres who do. Alex Holtz kind of, you know, He's played in the, in the NHL, 
you know, struggled in the early stages, even though he's still scoring extremely well in the in the AHL. Obviously, I would prefer Holtz to Muhammad Doolin. Um, but I think, you know, uh, you look at the entire package uh, from from the Devils to the Sharks, and it feels like a kind of uh, high floor, low ceiling situation. Um, because, you know, the, even the, like, the first round pick that they got, uh, next, I mean, it's probably not going to be that high. And the other, another very interesting, funny thing about it, I don't know if you saw this, the one of the picks, the conditional first rounder, that is basically a second that will turn into a first if the Devils make the conference finals this year or next. Yeah. And in the Devils press release, they said conditional second round pick. And in the Sharks press release, they said conditional first round pick. <laughs> and if this is, to, you know, to, to paint it in a better light. Sure. And both are technically correct. And this is something so frustrating to me. Um, that now I have a really great example of a way to express my frustration that there's no uniform way to express conditional picks because on on, on one hand you have, you know, because it means nothing when someone (laughs) says conditional fourth round pick, let's say, because what that could mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also like there are some conditional picks, like mostly in the later rounds that could just not be given at all. And that's what I feel like the word conditional should really mean. You know, it's like conditional seventh round pick uh, for, I don't know, if the team makes the third round, you get a seventh round pick. And if you don't, you don't get the pick. That's a conditional pick. All right. Otherwise, what you have is a pick that is definitely moving uh, and the condition is just on, you know, what round it's going to be in. So I feel like we just need a new way without the word conditional to express this. And what I propose is simply saying second or first round pick with little asterisks explaining Ugh. no what's what's wrong with that i maybe it's a little clunky and we're not Verbally, used to it that's the problem but, you go ahead yeah so 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 what else how else would you clearly express what was traded from the devils to the sharks i have no good alternatives for this all right um to be perfectly frank none no good ideas stem from this brain uh i i get where you're coming from um but i think we just have to acknowledge all right that conditional just means condition attached all right, and that condition can mean that if the pick goes up, it goes down, it goes away. Who knows? It it comes from a different team. Doesn't matter. I think we we just have to accept. So, like when someone says yeah. like, "Oh, we acquired a conditional second round pick," it's like that doesn't even tell me anything about yeah. what it is. Like, well, that's, that could be a condition. pick that turns into. Ask for the yeah, condition, but like, no. But there should be a better way. There should be a way that doesn't mean nothing you know it's like wow great there's an asset in this trade release that i have no idea how valuable it is yeah that's 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 fair but how but there's no other way to express these conditions without actually yes, just saying the say, condition outright you could say second or first round pick and that tells me more than conditional second okay yeah that's fair and then what do you say for a pick that might you know disappear conditional pick Okay, and then what about, you know, what if it's like the lowest of the fifth round picks? Then you just say fifth round pick? Then that's just a fifth round pick. Okay, yes. and then you put a and little asterisk. Straight up, a fifth round pick, doesn't matter what conditions come to be, that okay, will but, be a fifth round pick getting but, traded. But there are conditions attached to the pick, even if it doesn't influence the fact that it's a fifth round pick. So just put a little asterisk and then I can read about it later. <laughs> yeah, okay. You're right, because at that point, who gives a shit anyways, right? Like, you know, you're, yeah. You're, yeah. Who cares about if it's, you get bumped down? Because fifth, that's, that's the other thing. It's like, yeah. 
Um, this was when the Rangers traded Niels Lundqvist to Dallas. It was like conditional first round pick, and the condition was they'll get the later of the two first round picks. That's not a con- that is a first round pick. You traded away a first round pick, you know. Yes, you're right. I just I feel like there's a less clunky way of saying just like both alternatives with an or. I take objection with that personally. You know. Okay, well let me know when you figure it out. Or is literally that's what that word is for. Yeah, I guess so. But like you know, you list it out, and it's just like, oh, look, mm, it feels like it's a bit misleading. You know, is what I'm it's, saying. It says exactly what it means: first or second round pick. Yeah. Okay. You know what? I'm on board. I I can't think of a better alternative. Thank you. And I admit it does give more information than the current state of things. So, all right, I can get with this. And so the San Jose Sharks have received a second or a first round pick. Conditional yes. on whether the Devils make the ECF. Um, right. There we this go. This year or next. I'm glad we. Okay. I'm glad we hammered that out. Um, so, in conclusion, yeah. I would give the Devils an A plus for this deal. Yeah. Um, they got the bell of the ball, made themselves so much better. the The entire lineup looks even filthier than it already did, and I would give the Sharks eh, like a D. You know. C minus. I'll be generous. I'll give them a C minus. But okay, well, it's really the Muhammad Jalal. Really, I guess I'm very curious to see if he actually does come over and play in the NHL this year. How he how he fares? Yeah, that's true. But it really does feel high floor, low ceiling is exactly right. Just just you know the potential is not very high on this one. And for a guy as good as Meyer, it feels like you should have gotten more. Um, and yeah, Sharks yeah. fans across the board are seemed extremely disappointed with this return, and they should be for a good reason. It's a disappointing return uh, for a guy as good as Meyer, who's who's been on the market for so long. You know, got to cook up something, man. Yeah, it's always. I feel like even more so in recent years. I mean, you see this like, oh, disappointing return for Timo Meyer. Oh, extravagant return for Tanner Zeno. I feel like the idea of like a buyer's market or a seller's market like barely exists because trade returns fluctuate so much from just like what one GM happens to be feeling a particular hour of the day. It's extremely unpredictable to know like what the return is going to be on a particular player. And I think that is above all an indictment on the general managers themselves who don't think things through and just kind of like it's Julian Brise Bois' case will like just act with their whims. And all of a sudden the market evaporates and barely exists anymore. Yeah. You know what I was going to say? And you touched on the point. It's a smart person's market. That's what it fucking is. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, if you're smart, if you will take time to think, you'll probably come out a winner. Yeah, if you'll fleece these bozos who'll give up anything or give away whatnot, you'll be fine. You're gonna be doing just great. And more and more, I convince myself I could fucking do this job. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I, if I had Tanner's at all on my team, and I fucking called up all the general managers who wants to offer me this, that Julian Breezeball would have come up to me just the same and given me the same return. You know, so yep. I could do this shit. Look at and you'd be the smart one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so there we have it. And yeah, you know, yeah. I'm so You tempted. know who else was a smart yeah. one this week? Who? You know who else was a smart one this week? Kyle Please. Dubas. Yeah. And why is that? Tell me. What, what great trade did they pull off? Because Kyle Dubas acquired Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe, 50% retained, who was locked in for two more years after this, uh, in exchange for Joey Anderson, a fringe player, Pavel Gogolev, uh, a really good ECHL player and a first and second round pick. 
Uh, this, I would be fair saying, is a fleecing on the part of the Maple Leafs. Uh, they got, you know, a real solid top four defenseman, uh, bottom six forward, and they gave up. And, and also, the really crazy thing is that they have Chicago eating $2 million against the cap for this year and two more after this. I, I don't know how and why Kyle Davidson would have agreed to do something like that. And, you know, the first round pick and the second round pick is really all that they gave up of of any sort of significance to accomplish this. Yeah, yeah, you know, this is a cautionary tale. First and foremost, I want to point out that this packaging of assets never works out for the packaging team. All right, putting Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty together and shipping them out when they both have, you know, their own values on the market, inherently you will get you will only get a discounted price for them. And we've seen that all over the place. I can't remember the other uh, I'll bring it up when I remember the trade. O'Reilly and Achari, the Leafs already did it. Right, and also Hathaway and Orlov. That was, that was the other example from this week. It feels yes. like the return always gets less when you package these players, so don't do it, all right? That's the first thing. So Chicago's already making one mistake there. And then, yeah, uh, for Chicago to give up this this great asset, it's not like he's some unknown. People were talking about Jake McCabe, how he's like a decent piece on the market, because he's a very solid, you know, kind of second-pairing defenseman who plays well defensively and is locked in at a reasonable cost. You retained half of that, Right, which is already insane for like two and a half seasons, and all you get is a first round pick and a second round pick for a, for for you know a, I don't remember how is Jake McCabe like twenty seven is that right or is he even younger than that? Uh, no, he's about twenty eight, twenty nine, I think. Okay, all right, but no, at this point, still very much you know you don't anticipate any sort of decline for this guy. He's just a very very solid second pair defenseman. Um, who with the cost control, especially with the cost control, is so valuable. And to give him up like this, on top of Sam Lafferty, who's the you know decent depth, outrageous. And, and I hate it for the Leafs. Well, like in, in that I hate the Leafs, and they did something good um, because you know you get a great piece locked in for three years. What's not the what's not the hate for a pick that's like fucking eight years away from developing? You know. Yeah. Now, so at this deadline, they've given up two firsts, two seconds, a third, and a fourth, and a bunch of largely inconsequential players and they've added four pieces to the roster without giving up unless you count joey anderson as a roster player which technically he was on the roster um but you know up and down type of thing uh they didn't take anyone out of the everyday lineup and they injected three forwards and a defenseman o'reilly mccabe lafferty and achari uh and i mean the roster clearly looks much better now than it did before yeah, absolutely. Um, all this now, granted, all this is to lose in seven games in the first round. Um, but of course, you know, Kyle Dubas definitely trying his darndest. I'll hand him that with some, especially this one. This is a very shrewd move. Uh, so you know, I, I think he's out of a contract eh, at the end of the season. So who knows what the yes, deal is there? He'll is. probably get extended. Uh, but you know, if they lose in the first round, maybe he won't. So that's very he's interesting. But he's he's helping his case. I'll tell you that. The other great thing with this deal uh, is that, you know, even if the Leafs do lose in the first round, you can't wipe off McCabe Lafferty deal as a loss just yet because they are not rentals and are extended beyond this year. Yep, absolutely. So this is a smart long-term deal. If you had done this in the offseason, it would have been great. But to have them in there for an extra playoff run, even better. Yep. Um, all right. Another very fun trade this week was the Evgeny Dadnov dennis Gurianov trade. Uh, because a lot of the talk around Montreal has been, you know, they thought they were going to be sellers. 
have all these pieces and now no one wants any of the pieces. Um, Joel Edmondson has been very quiet on that front. Really has. Um, I feel Jesus. like it really has, which is odd. Um, the other, of course, I saw a funny tweet. Mike Hoffman, apparently, I think this was Sarah Valley, maybe, was like, the phones aren't even lukewarm on him. No one is interested <laughs> at all in Mike Hoffman. Monaghan, the other disappointing one, but that's injury related, not due to performance. Then Dadanov has been a major disappointment for Montreal this year. Um, so it's honestly a surprise they were able to get anything for him. And Dallas, as we talked about a little bit, have totally soured on Denis Gurianov, uh, has not been productive. Um, and so they decided, you know, one for one swap. Dallas saves little cap room because Montreal retained half, arguably improved in the immediate term. And Montreal, for their end, gets a maybe. A maybe will be able to, you know, reignite his potential, re- uh, discover his scoring touch. And But the most important part about this trade uh, is that it keeps the P.K. Subban, Shea Weber trade tree alive. The trade is now P.K. Subban for Denis Gurianov. So <laughs> Montreal continues to come out on top. <laughs> By virtue of having an asset, isn't it? That's how they come out on top. Um, yes. And, and someone's, this was, let's not forget, they Shea Weber's LTIR salary. He wasn't even ever going to play again. They got Dadanov for that, now got Gurianov for that, an asset that they may be able to turn into something positive. Yeah, so the, the the train keeps humming along. Uh, for for Gurianov, I think he's an RFA at the end of the year, right? So, um, yeah, Dallas was probably almost definitely not going to qualify him at like almost three million dollars. Maybe maybe Montreal will. So in that sense, it makes sense for Montreal to acquire him and Dallas to get rid of him like that. Uh, and you know, Dallas gets some depth. And that's at this point, that's what Evgeny Dadanov is. He is nothing more. Uh, and the Gurianov saga is over. He scored a goal with Dallas already. Yeah, his first game was start. He scored a very sweet goal. I actually I watched it just for the purpose. It was it was very impressive. Little dipsy do type of situation. Very nice. Um, yep. Yeah, with Gurianov, uh, unless he really kind of plays lights out from now to the end of the season, I don't think it does make sense for Montreal to qualify him at that number. Uh, we may see, you know, because I don't think Gur- anyone would give Gurianov that number on the market. So Montreal may still try to be like, hey, you know, we'll sign you. I don't know, two years for. You know, one and a half AAV, something like that, kind of a bridge deal, prove it situation. Even though I think that probably would take him to UFA, um, but I don't even think Gurianov at this point is expecting to get that three million qualifying offer from anyone. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but you know, you get him in the building, maybe he can figure it out. I mean, he's got a decent skill set, right? The issue is he's never been able to like pull it all together for an extended period of time, except like that one playoff run where everybody was talking about him. Uh, a few years ago, it's been pretty quiet since. And so he shows flashes, but not enough to keep him high up in the lineup, right? So he's been toiling in the fourth line for the last couple of years in Dallas. News out of Nashville, Thomas Novak is expected to play his 54th NHL game tonight, which will result in him losing his waiver exemption. Thoughts? Well, you know what? That, that roster is not good enough to put that guy on waivers. And I, don't, I barely even know who he is, so... That's a uh-huh. shame. Yeah. Just thought I'd get you excited that there was a trade for a second. Uh, okay, thanks. No kidding. That is misleading as hell. Terrible. Uh, another trade that happened uh, pretty much around the exact same time of day as the Dadanov one did uh, was Barbashev going from St. Louis to Vegas for Zach Dean. This one was kind of a head-scratcher because on one side, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah, Barbashev, you know, pretty good. You know, middle six forward. 
uh, definitely valuable for Vegas. Uh, Zach Dean, though, it's like he was recently a first round pick, a late first round pick, uh, kind of, you know, a depth player, I guess, for Canada's world junior team. But it still feels like kind of a steep price to pay for pending UFA Ivan Barbashev. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> like for, especially for a pipeline, well, for a pipeline like Vegas, where they really kind of traded everybody, you know, he's got to be pretty high up there, right? On their prospect rankings or whatnot. Um, yeah. Just by virtue of being a first round pick that they've kept in the organization <laughs> this, to this point. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's the equivalent? Maybe like a, like picking a second, paying a second round pick, third round pick. I mean, he doesn't. I was going to say, like, Zach Dean is, Zach Dean is probably more or less equivalent to a second round pick. Um, but also Zach Dean is like, you know, possibly closer to the NHL than a second round pick, you know? Yeah, that's right. So good for the blues. They get to extract this decent prospect from the Vegas Golden Knights. And interesting, eh? Because now Vegas has like so much cap space, right? Is that the deal? Like, now that they've got yeah, oh yeah Mark that's the thing yeah they they got they, you know the stone he's on LTIR Shea Weber they shipped his contract over to Arizona for Dyson Mayo um w- interesting I I wonder what they're doing in Vegas with all that space and the fact that the West is so freaking weak especially with all these trades so a lot of people have made the point that a lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the the trades that are going on a lot of talent going from the West to the East already you know yes. further imbalancing the conferences which is interesting. Um, because yeah, all these, all I was these going to mention trades, this yeah. actually, because, because uh-huh. we talked last week about how, you know, the top six teams in the East were also the top six teams in the league. You have Boston getting Orlov and Hathaway, Toronto getting those four players, Tampa going balls to the wall for Tanner's or no, <laughs> the Devils get Timo Meyer, the Rangers get Tarasenko and they're probably about to get Patrick Kane too. Carolina, they just, you know, they just got Pugliarvi. They just added someone. And I feel like, yeah, sure. It makes sense. You know, the better teams, are the ones that are trying to add. But in the Western Conference, I'm surprised there isn't more of an attitude amongst the top teams in the West of this could be our year. It's wide open. We've got to really go go in guns a blazing for some of these guys. And Dallas was, eh, we'll get Dadna, Vegas. Oh, yeah, we'll get Barbashev, you know, that type of thing. And I'm still waiting for someone to really kind of, you know, really make a big, bold move in the Western Conference and say, you know, we could easily make a run to the Stanley Cup final this year. Well, Colorado did. You know, they got Jack Johnson back in there. He's the key. Oh, of key, course, of course, Jack Johnson, yeah. Stud, fucking Jack Johnson, remarkable. Um, yeah, but you're right. This, <laughs> but it seems like the bar, the threshold for going all in should be lower in the West by virtue of the teams all suck, right? Uh, so yeah, bit bit of a confusing thing there. Maybe the the GMs are just aren't sold. You know, they just aren't sold on their own teams. They don't have that kind of confidence, uh, which. You know, it's fascinating to see such an imbalance. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah, you know, it's never that. been like this. It's nuts. And it's going to be even worse, uh, you know, moving forward in terms of, like, the, the record imbalance by virtue of all the talent that's just moved over. Uh, so, yeah, that's 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 great. We're going to have a shitty ass. We're going to have, the like, the best Eastern Conference playoff on one hand, and then we're going to have a bunch of mediocre-ass teams playing it out in the Western Conference, which is good for me because, you know, we live in the Eastern time zone, so all the good games are going to be nice and early. And then uh, maybe yeah, I can. I saw I saw asleep. a tweet about like all oh, the Eastern Conference playoffs are gonna be war, and the Western Conference playoffs will be like finger painting together. <laughs> um, yeah, that's right. Um, but there was actually yeah. there was a team in the Eastern Conference who lost a player, and that was the Pittsburgh Penguins putting Kasperi Kapanen on waivers, and losing him to the St. Louis Blues. 
Uh, Kapanen's been a healthy scratch uh, pretty frequently for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, but that acquisition a few years ago where he said that was quite an overpay, hopefully they can work it out, has proven in the end to be an utter disaster. They just lost him for nothing. But they have cleared up uh, some cap room, so maybe they will also be getting in on the action. I think they're now sitting eighth in the East, saying, don't leave us out. We're still in win-now mode, too. Yeah, it's... uh. It, like this, honestly, the fact that the Blues took him off their hands and his extra year at like $3 million might be a benefit for the Penguins. I don't know if they were expecting someone to claim him um, because, you know, cap space is so valuable and this guy's a healthy scratch. You know, it sucks to have a $3.2 million hit just sitting on the in the press box every night. Um, so, but yeah, overall, we, we did shred that trade when it happened, rightfully so. I think was it Ron Hextall who pulled that off? Can't remember. Uh, I don't know who was Jim at the time. But yeah, big clown move, overpaid way too much to was it those Maple Leafs? Um, and look at that, it aged poorly. Who could have seen that coming? Yep. Um, I'm looking at the right now deadline cap space for Pittsburgh is just under two point one million. Um, so they have some wiggle room to get. I don't know. I think they were one of the teams that was in on Gavrikov. Uh, maybe this is who they still have their eye on. Uh, does it move the needle for them that much? No. Uh, and I think what would maybe be wiser for them, and it's been things have been kind of quiet on Jacob Chikrin these days after it looked like it was inevitable he was going to get dealt, what was it, a week and a half ago. Um, and apparently Washington is now really in the mix. Uh, and I think Pittsburgh should be as well, which I think I have mentioned before on the podcast. Yeah, okay. Should be interesting. I just saw this tweet. Apparently, the action started to pick up around Colton Pareko. Ha! And his fat fucking contract. That's interesting. What does the tweet say? Hearing action is starting to pick up around Blues defenseman Colton Pareko. And then Alberta boy with a ton of turn remaining. Six and a half million dollars, blah, blah, blah. Stay tuned. Period. Who tweeted that? Darren Dreger. Huh. Action starting to pick up. That could mean no one was talking about him and then one person did. You know, very vague tweets like that. Uh, but I, if he ends up getting moved, that is uh, that that's pretty. That's I think he signed till he's about thirty eight years old. So I think the Blues, especially if they want to retool or whatever, should feel pretty lucky to get out from under that big contract. Um, even though you know he's not bad right now, you know six and a half. That's not crazy. But by the time the Blues are you know contending again, will he still be worth that when he's thirty four, thirty five, thirty six years old? Yep. Absolutely. That, that, that contract has danger written all over it. Big red ink. Um, speaking of contracts. You know, other contract has danger written all over it. There you are. Are we both going to uh, Nikita Zaitsev? The one and only. That's right. He's gone. Oh, yeah. Out of, yep. Go ahead. Yeah, he's off the Sens books, um, which, you know, only makes sense for them if they are really trying to acquire Jacob Chikrin right now, I think. Otherwise, it, unless he's just really that miserable to be around, why don't you just suck it up for the rest of the year? You're not going to make the playoffs. Uh, and the only way, I think, to just... Wait, actually, even so, like, I'm not looking closer at the sense cap friendly right now. I'm not sure I understand the justification for saying we got to trade Zaitsev now because they have so much cap room. That it's not even a problem. And, you know, if you trade him in the summer, you probably uh, don't have to give up as much because there's only one year left instead of one and a half. Yep. 
Absolutely. What is they give up a second and a fourth for the privilege of unloading this guy for honestly no good reason. Well, I mean, like the good reason is that he's a, he's a boat anchor. Um, but you know, there's there's no there's no pressing need. Um, and yeah, I don't I really don't understand the the like if you had a trade ready to go, why why not just execute that at the same time? That's another thing I don't understand. Um, and on top of that, yeah, like they they, they have like what the three defensemen signed next year. It's like Shabbat, Zub, and Sanderson. Um, so. You know, I do not understand why they don't just eat the Zaitsev contract. Now, granted, there is an extra year added. There's a year left. Um, but even so, would it, would it have killed them to kept, you know, to friggin' not pay the second round pick? Uh, and it's, you know, it's crazy to me. They've had this contract for three and a half years. And yet they still have to give up a second or fourth to, to get rid of it at the end of the day. That is, yep. there's another train wreck. Uh-huh. Um, way to go, Chicago, though. You know, using that, and now they've got you know their their right side of the defense is firm and locked and loaded. Seth Jones, Connor Murphy, and Nikita Zaitsev, all locked in for next year. Just <laughs> lovely. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, not much else to add. Unless the Sens make a move imminently to get a good defenseman, this is a waste. This is a straight up waste. Lighting assets on fire. Go get it. We've talked a little bit about the Orlov trade, but we haven't really dove in, dove, d- dived in, whatever the term is. Um, this is a this is a weird one, I thought for Boston, and I'm still unsure how I think about it, um, because, uh, right, let me pull up the details. They gave up a there was a first rounder as part of it, I believe, right? Unless I'm yeah. getting things mixed up. A first, um, yeah. Yeah, and of course it was you know the, the double retention with Minnesota. It was a first, a second, and a third, and a fifth, uh, and Craig Smith is what they gave up across the board. Uh, the fifth round pick went to Minnesota for that retention, and the rest all went to Washington. Uh, is it very loud? The noises around me? Not really. I okay, okay, up, good. Because it, it's not like okay, yeah. And I'll, you know Orlov. You're strengthening what was already a strength. And we said last week, I think, Bruins, if you get Gavrikov, don't do that. That'd be dumb. And instead, they get a great defenseman, Dmitry Orlov. You know, and now they've got this rotation going with, like, Clifton, Forbert, even, like, Grizzlick, you know, was actually out of the lineup yesterday. So, you know, they're resting their, t- their good players, like Grizzlick, who will be a mainstay come game one. Um, Orlov allows them to do that more comfortably. And Orlov can also play both sides so now I'm, I'm quite comfortable in saying they have like five genuine top four defensemen including actually you might even say they have four top pairing defensemen McAvoy, Lindholm, Orlov and Grizzlick just throw them on the top Orlov's been on the top pair for years and years in Washington won a Stanley Cup playing top pair minutes um, the interesting part of this though is like the forward swap you swap out Craig Smith and you swap in Garnet Hathaway I feel like that's a downgrade, making it a weird thing for the President's Trophy team to do. I know Craig Smith's having a disappointing year. He was on waivers at one point. Um, but, you know, Craig Smith has a scoring touch that, like, could be turned on. And now you've kind of swapped him out for the scrappy fourth line or guy Garnet Hathaway. And now you've got Trent Frederick playing on your third line. And I wonder if, like, there's another move in there, uh, maybe waiting in the wings to try and, like, replace some of the scoring touch that you hoped Craig Smith would bring. No name comes to mind, but it feels like an odd thing for a contending thing to do to bring, to send out a third line winger to bring in a fourth line winger, even though it does give you such a great upgrade to your back end. 
I think the issue with Craig Smith is, uh, well, first of all, did they need his money to leave to get Orlov in the building in the first place? Yeah, I, like I guess they, they did. did. So that's the first thing. And so, you know, like, where else are you going to find that amount of money to leave? Also, Craig Smith, I don't even know if he's a third liner at this point. He's been so bad for the Bruins. He's been like their one dude who, in a team of, like, overachievers and guys who are having career years, this guy has stunk it up. So, you know, they have this guy, you know, the fourth line guy, and maybe you prefer Hathaway. I don't hate it. You know, I think Craig Smith, just a big disappointment. And, you know, maybe he's got scoring potential, but he sure shit wasn't showing it this year. So you ship him out and his big money over out there. I don't take such an issue with it. I think it's, you know, great that they shore up that left side of the defense. Not that it needed, like, needed shoring up or anything. Um, but you really add, like, a, a great piece onto that um, to really now you're freaking locked and loaded for the playoffs. And you get some, yeah. you know, you get some depth. I, I really don't take an issue with it. I think it's smart. I think this is, like, yeah, the defense was, if you were to add a piece to this Bruins team, that's where you would have added it to that defense. It really kind of loaded up. And now Boston is loaded head to toe. So, you know, I think they, they got better. Know, my, Price isn't terrible. My nitpick is still like the forward depth. Like they have one injured forward right now, Taylor Hall. And so now their bottom six includes Trent Frederick, Nick Foligno, Garnet Hathaway, Thomas Nosek, and AJ Greer. Like, I don't know about that. You know, do you kind of agree? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. They haven't completely addressed it. But, you know, maybe the point wasn't to address the forward depth. Maybe you get, maybe you, you call it a wash. Maybe you even call it a bit of an upgrade, Hathaway over Craig Smith. Because, yeah, Craig Smith has been bad. I cannot emphasize that enough, right? Um, he is not yeah, going to fit on this true. lineup. So you are not getting anything out of it. So, like, you know, you keep Craig Smith in there, and it's like, it's still just as bad, maybe even worse. Um, maybe Hathaway yeah, brings my something. one, though. Yeah. Uh, I would say for Boston, I think they should be trying to add uh, so some forward depth, try to squeeze it in there. Looking at the trade raid list, maybe if you get some kind of retention situation with uh, Warren Fogle or something, or uh, I don't know, or Connor Sherry. But you know what I think? Who I think they should acquire? Mike Hoffman. <laughs> really? Yeah, I'm no, sure that's a I really don't. perfectly genuine recommendation. Yeah, no, absolutely, obviously. Uh, yeah, we'll see. But honestly, they can roll like this. I wouldn't. I think you're really nitpicking at that point. I don't know. I am. I absolutely yeah. am. <laughs> Steve was so good. Um, it's actually so unfair. Yeah. So good that even uh, even Lena Selmark scored a goal the other day. That's right. He really did. Great transition. Um, but yeah, it happened. First time since what, 2020? Is that right? Who was the last one? Pekka Rene. Yeah, I was going to say I think it was Rene was the last one. Yeah. Yeah, nice to see it. Crazy. Um, it's ah, fun. It's- yeah, I just want to point out that was a really risky goal, too. That's like a really risky attempt. I, you, you know, like they're first of all less than a minute left. They're up only one goal. It's two to one. He's got it right in front of his net, and there's like three Canucks like bearing down on him. I think it hit one of their hands, right? Like it tipped off a Canuck hand down the ice into the net. Yep. That very well could have just ended Fortune up in the back of the bold. All, all marks net. You know, he was saying. He didn't really know what happened. He was like looking around. He shot the puck and he's like, oh, maybe he thought maybe it went into his own net. Um, <laughs> he just goes to show <laughs> just how risky that was. Uh, so that was nuts. Uh, and just makes it that much better. He looked very, very pleased with himself about it. You know, 
So I think he said afterward it was like a dream come true. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I I know it wasn't the first time he's thought of it. There was this other moment that people were referencing earlier in the season where he had it behind the net. He thought about it, didn't end up doing it. Now this time, he has he's pulled it off. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. If that if that goes south and the it ends up in the wrong net, does this entirely turn Boston season around and everyone's sad and then they start losing all the time? <laughs> Maybe you know something like that happens against the Canucks of all teams, it might leave yeah. a stink. You know, it might leave a stink, but lucky for them, everything's going right. They don't have to worry about that because it went in. What do you know? Crazy. Yep. I remember. It's too bad that Carey Price is you know probably gonna, never going to play again, and he never got a goal because I, I, he has even been vocal at one point like, "Oh yeah, I love to score a goal." And I remember, and I want to say like 2012, in a game against maybe like Minnesota, something random like that. I remember he he tried to he like shot for the empty net and it backfired. It was like intercepted and Minnesota ended up kind of hemming them in and then scoring um, and tying the game or something. So maybe that kind of you know he was too shy to do that from that point onward. If you want to psychoanalyze Mister Price, we could. Um, so yeah, but you know who doesn't have to live with those regrets? Linus Allmark. Good yep. shit. Mm-hmm. And as you say, he did it against uh, the Vancouver Canucks. Was that it? Yeah. Funny you Who should mention they them. They, they, they made a they made a trade this week, actually. Yeah. Uh, they acquired Vitaly Kravtsov. That whole saga finally came to an end as well uh, with the Rangers. Moving on from their ninth overall pick of not five years ago, uh, bringing in William Lockwood and a seventh round pick. What do we What do we think? Oh boy, this is this. Man, this is it. <laughs> this yeah, end of a saga is right. Um, and for him to be shipped off as basically a cap dump with his what eight hundred thousand dollar cap hit. Oh boy, that is a rough ending. Cause yeah, William Lockwood, nobody. Twenty twenty six seventh. I think that's as far ahead as you can get, and as meaningless pick yeah. as impossibly imaginable at that point. You might as well call it future considerations. So this is a cap dump. And a really small cap dump in terms of you know the volume of cap that was gained, uh, and yeah, this is uh, this is it. This is the end of the sentence um, for the Rangers. Completely bungling his development, never giving him a spot, never letting him you know figure it out in terms of consistency wise. Uh, so that's you know that's the Rangers. We 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 haven't we talk about it every single time we talk about the Rangers how they would be so much better. With all these freebie superstars that come to their team that want to play for the Rangers, they can figure out the development. This team will be rocking and rolling. And yet they actively do not do that. And they're awful at it. Um, here's yet the, the end of yet another example. The redemption is not coming with the Rangers. As for the Canucks, you're taking a flyer. And that's what it is. Free flyer. You give up a seventh in three years. Who gives a shit? You know, maybe, maybe yep. he can put something together. Mm-hmm. The Canucks happen to be the beneficiary of this this whole Kravtsov situation and really with the Rangers and Kravtsov it comes down to Gerard Gallant never gave him any leash of more than like two games at a time um I this year after they acquired Tarasenko uh he put Kravtsov on the line with I think uh Panarin and Trocek for one game it was like yeah you weren't any good scratching you again putting Jake LeCision back in the lineup putting Jimmy VC back up on the second line putting whoever putting a scrub it's been I've been seeing it all the time for the past like two years, 
all the Rangers are scratching Kravtsov and putting in Jake LeCision or Ryan Carpenter or Sammy Blay or Dryden Hunt when they, or whoever instead of you know this uh, top ten pick who has who had at least potential. Yeah, I I don't understand like the you know the coach, but also upper management to not force the coach into giving him a proper opportunity and to actually you know invest in his development for once. Are you kidding me? Uh, and yeah, you say like the, the cost of not, play, of, of, you know, putting him in there and sticking him there is not so large because there's no depth on this Rangers team or, or very little, uh, especially before the Tarasenko trade. But even after it, um, you still guys got guy guys like, you know, Lysician and VC, you know, even bumping up to the second line. So what's the real cost of trying out crafts off there for an extended period of time? I don't see it. Um, so all the more reason why they should have done that really should. They never helped them out. They never helped him out. And the fact that he didn't have it ready to go from day one, um, it just seemed like they were never really there to help him along. Um, and that is the case for all young Rangers players, it seems. Um, and this is just the latest example. Um, yeah. So, But the Rangers now uh, have cleared up the space to acquire Patrick Kane with 75% retention. Um it is possible, and it is also possible from the fact that they sent Braden Schneider to the minors. Um, I don't know enough about how the cap works to know, because you know they can't just acquire Kane now with at that like, uh, what would it be two point? Uh, uh, what what is two point six two five or something? Uh, and then just call Braden Schneider back up. I don't think. I, maybe if you're having Schneider in the minors for like these next few days, accrues the room to be able to have him and Kane on the team. It's maybe something like that. And also uh, maybe Jake Lecision goes out to clear up like, you know, a few more hundred thousand, something like that. Um, but it seems like it's a foregone conclusion at this point and it is going to happen. And, you know, on one hand, it's like, well, we were talking about how weak the Rangers were on the right wing. And then you had Tarasenko and Kane and you've got this great top six or whatever. Uh, but I still wonder if, like, you know, Patrick Kane is terrible. <laughs> That's the other kind of big part of this equation. Yep. Is, is he actually any good? A hundred percent. You know, if he comes in, he, 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 he like, like, what's his, he's had like a good little stretch, right? We talked about last week. Had a great couple of games, scored a bunch of goals. Yep. But he very might well be cooked. All right. And, you know, all these additions, like Tarasenko, you know, how he's been okay, right? Since he showed up. I don't, I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, do, do you have that much more faith in, you know, an old ass Patrick Kane? I wouldn't say so. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, also, I mean, the other question is like, what do they give up? And we don't really know at this point, the fact that there is so much retention involved, they'll be giving up more than Kane is worth. I'm comfortable in guessing if it's, if there's a first rounder, I mean, that's a loss for the Rangers already. And I think it goes to show kind of contrast the devils to the Rangers. You know, the devils are higher in the standings than the Rangers. I would say a better team and the Rangers, you know, going all acquiring Tarasenko, Kane, these kind of, you know, guys on the on the wrong side of 30 penning ufas really gunning for it and the devils meanwhile you know measuredly go out and get you know timo meyer better than both of those players for sure and under team control for a while moving forward uh and i think i think it goes to show which one of these two teams is in a, a better position and it's just smarter overall 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a credit to the management uh, and the ability to generate a long-term vision. It never seems like this is why I don't. This is part of why I don't trust the Rangers is that it doesn't seem like they're long-term minded at all. And obviously, and, and yeah, it's like it's all this good fortune that has come to them in terms of Panarin showing up, in terms of Adam Fox showing up, and like it's it's great. But it was never with a long-term plan in mind. It was just they they fell into their lap. They signed them. Okay, they're part of the team now, and everything long-term related. And I'm talking about their development yet again. They've they've completely screwed it up, and they've given no they've allocated no resources uh, to to properly developing these players. Um, meanwhile, you know the Devils, they got you know guys coming out the pipeline up the wazoo. You know, you know guys like Fabian Zetterlund, who you know they shipped out, but like you know kind of came out of nowhere. And I was like, wow, this is an impressive piece that they've managed to develop. Um, so this is why much more faith in Devils. Absolutely agree. And yeah, just, and yet another another addition. If you add Patrick Kane, it's just like a, you're adding a 37 year old to this lineup and hoping and praying it works out. And I can't imagine you know he'll stick around. And if he, even if he does, like past this year, even if he does, very limited contributor. Um, and so I don't see him making an impact long term. Where is the the building toward the long term vision with the Rangers? I just don't see. It. Yep, uh, I would agree, but it would be a lot of fun <laughs> to have. <laughs> Kane and Tarasenko both added to this Rangers team. Um, and then, you know, honestly, if they do acquire Patrick Kane, I'm even more confident they flame out against the Devils, losing maybe I'd say five games in the first round. Yeah, I would I completely agree. Um, anyways. Oh, did you... I, breaking news. Scott Harrington claimed by the by the Ducks. So... On waivers? Oh, yeah, there he waivers. goes. <laughs> wow so, uh-huh. <laughs> acquired a few days ago and just like that gone tragic yeah well, they put him on waivers right away to try and like you know send him to the minors and i get yeah there he goes he's gone the ducks you know um they are absolutely loves they have you look at the depth chart for their entire franchise they have so many number eight defensemen it's insane i don't get it what, why are they doing adding another one man so bizarre. i think you know i would say he is well Maybe they think they can get a six-round pick for him over the next few days. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like I said, as I was saying, fifty not fifty minutes ago. Don't diss on Scott Harrington. Decent defensive depth. So yeah, Ducks love him. <laughs> Apparently, all right. Um, I think there was one more trade that, of consequence that we've yet to talk about. Uh, you know, back to Nashville. Nino Niederreiter. This was earlier in the week. Yeah, traded. Uh. First, he's got one more year left on his contract after this one, $4 million, traded to the Winnipeg Jets for a second-round pick. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'd say, you know, solid piece of business for the Jets. You know, we've talked about how abysmal their forward depth is. All of a sudden, you know, really just adding Nino Niederreiter to the mix makes their top nine look look a lot more like a real top nine, you know, before it was Morgan Barron on the third line. It's like, what's Morgan Barron doing on the third line? Now, fully healthy, I think you got Niederreiter maybe on you know, a third line with Adam Lowry and Mason Appleton. Pretty solid, you know. I mean, that fourth line still leaves uh, leaves much to be desired with the likes of Sam Gagne or Saku Mainalanen or Morgan Barron or Carson Kuhlman or whoever you want to throw on. It's it's question marks, especially if there are injuries, as I believe there are right now. And there usually are for most teams. Um, but Niederreiter, I think, is a good start and a reasonable price. Uh, as for Nashville, you know, if they are doing this reset, uh, like they say they are, uh, second rounder for Niederreiter, 
eh, it's not great, but you know, you couldn't expect to get that much more. It's 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 not it's better than having him kind of sit around and then you know his value goes down in the off season and down again next year and then he walks away. I feel like this is an extremely underwhelming return from the Predators. You know, like you know, for a guy who's a very you know a very serviceable middle six contributor, locked in at a reasonable rate for next year too, four million dollars, only a second round pick, and next year feels like the Jets got themselves a bit of a bargain. Um, you know, especially considering the upgrade that that gives them at forward. Um, I don't know. I feel like other teams were they interested? Were they not? I I don't see why they wouldn't be. Um, you know, it's cost controlled, and he's a quite a good player. He is good at driving play at five on five as well, not just on the power play. So, you know, uh, it seems extremely reasonable if you're the Jets. And if you're the Predators, I mean, how do you not, how do you get like a, this much less for Nino Naderider <laughs> compared to Tanner Janot? That's, that, that's the real bit, isn't it? Tanner Janot plays less, is worse than Nino Naderider. Like outright and like, oh yeah, Cassie, See, but. Yeah, I, I was quality. I was going to say cap it is the thing, and with Niederreiter, I was like four million. Like that's not exactly a cheap for Niederreiter. Like that's put if Niederreiter hits the open market today, I do not think he gets four million AAV. I think he might get he might get three. He might then get retain three. then retain. Who gives a shit? And what are you doing, man? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like Nashville. I'm I'm wondering like why they didn't retain a little and then get some more. Maybe if the Jets are the only team who's like, yeah, we'll take him and we don't need any salary retained, then maybe. Nashville, as teams are wont to do, kind of falls in love with that and goes, you're our partner. You'll find take all the, the money. That, man, find the team that will take with Retain and will pay you significantly more. <laughs> Nino Niederreiter at, for two for a year and a half at $2 million? you kidding me? It's great. Don't understand. Yep. Pretty good. Like I said. I don't know. Lee, right I, I the think the... I won't, I, won't, I won't roast the Preds for this one as much as you are, so... All right, I will. This is this is the hill I will stand on. Um, <laughs> the hill I will stand on. I, <laughs> I'm not gonna die on this hill, but I, I will this stand. The hill on this I will hill. live on. <laughs> no, that's too much. I will stand on this hill for a temporary amount of time. I'm not setting up shop here. Um, they should have had more, but you know they did it, and that's the end of it. Uh, I'm willing to move on from this, but I just want to put it out there. I am on this hill. All right. I was just saying, Hill, I will live on in contrast to dying, you know, living, yeah. that type of thing. Oh, okay. That's right. No, but, you know, living implies I'm going to live there. This is my house. This is not my home. Nino Niederreiter, okay. second round pick, not my home. Nowhere near. <laughs> oh, apparently. Right, before okay. we get to the trivia. Yeah, yes. I almost built my home on the Jets winning the Stanley Cup, apparently. You know, it looks smarter now, but I'm still off of that. I've, I've destroyed that home. It's terrible, terrible thing. But, you know, makes you think, you know. They showed up their forward depth. Maybe that was the year. It's not, but maybe. It's not. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so before we get to the trivia, one last thing I want to shout out. Connor McDavid hit 50 goals yep. uh, with his two-goal performance against the Bruins yesterday in that, what was it, a 3-2 loss? I think he got both of them. Yeah. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah, it goes to show. That's <laughs> pretty fitting, I have to say. <laughs> uh, kind of, Kind of, you know crazy that he had never done it before part of that was shortened seasons you know that type of thing and also he would just you know rack up the assist and i guess this year was the year he said you know i'm gonna i'm just gonna score a lot of goals he got 50 in um i think i don't think he's missed a game for the oilers so in 61 games uh so i mean from now until the end of the season what does he do we think he breaks the cap era record of 65 
Let's see. How many games does he have left? 21? Uh, he's 21, yeah. Does he get 15? 15. 15 and 21? Is he, he's, is he on that pace right now? What's the um, deal? Uh, yes, because he has scored 50 in 61. Okay, I say he does it. Why the hell not? Um, it, the, the stakes are even higher now for the Oilers as they try to, you know, really kind of solidify their spot uh, in the playoff race. Yeah, yep. why not? I don't see why I wouldn't keep it going. Barring injury, mm-hmm. and let me let me try to pull up. Yeah, he's got 115 points this season. This this, this bona fide 21 games to go. Are you kidding me? What an absolute what a, what a joke! On pace for over 150. Gonna... Oh. Wow, wow, is he really? Yeah, 154 right now. Gee, when was the last time someone broke 100? It's got to be Lemieux. It's got to be Mario Lemieux, I think. Uh, I'll look up. Uh, I'll look it up, but I would imagine okay. so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, yeah, he's really, he's really something else, isn't he? Oh, so always, you know, every night I feel like, well, whenever the other's playing, like, oh yeah, McDavid, you know, four point game, two point game, three point game, two point game, six point game, you know, all the time. He just does it every night. It's it's nuts. And yeah, you're right. It was it was when we were in like ninety six, ninety five, ninety six. Wow, one hundred sixty one. This will be. Remember in uh, 2015 when Jamie Benn won the Art Ross with 87 points? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Do I ever? Are you kidding me? How the times um, change. Yeah. Well, the arrival of Connor McDavid. That was that was the time that changed. Um, He's not the only one, though. You know, Dreisaitl yeah, has already passed that number of Jamie Benn's from seven <laughs> years ago, eight years ago. And we haven't even hit the trade deadline. What'd you look haven't at that? even hit the trade deadline. Haven't even hit March yet, though we will tomorrow. All right. All right. Time for trivia. Yep. Um, what do you got? Cooked so, up? inspired by this massive, you know, uh, nine-player, four-pick total, thirteen-piece Timo Meyer trade. Sure. I decided to go back, look through some trades in recent memory that have involved a ton of assets, okay. and I wanted the theme to be nine-player deals. Unfortunately, there aren't enough of those to make a quiz about them. At least that Cat Friendly keeps track of, and that you would okay. reasonably know something about. So I decided to say, all right, seven-player trades. But still, I didn't have so much to work with. So the, the theme, the theme of the deal is trades involving at least six players. Sure. Um, it's a straightforward one. I'm going to tell you all the details about a trade. Oh, sorry, one second. Uh oh, never mind. Okay. Uh, all right. Okay. So here's how it's gonna work. I am going to tell you all the details of a trade, including the date it happened, the two teams involved. And every piece involved, except for the most important one. All right. And you're going to tell me what the, the most important one. Let's hear it. I think this is going to be quite easy. So I'm going, I want this threshold to be 8 on 10 instead of our normal 7. Okay. I can agree to this. Okay. Let's here roll. we go. July 4th, 2013. Boston gets Louis Erickson, Matt Frazier, Joe Morrow, Riley Smith. Dallas gets Ryan Button, Rich Peverly, and... Uh, when was this? July fourth, twenty thirteen. Yes, twenty thirteen. Yeah. Huh. Who was the Who was the Boston side? Louis Erickson, Matt Frazier, Joe Morrow, and Riley Smith. That's who Boston received. Okay. This is. Huh. Boston to Dallas. Is that the Tyler Sagan trade? Yes, and you struggled with that much more than I thought you would. To be totally <laughs> honest with you. 
I thought that was going to be like slam dunk, easy warm up situation. Maybe oh, we do not- need to adjust the threshold. We'll see. It's okay. I'm warmed up now. Go ahead. Okay. February 11th, 2015. Winnipeg gets Yoel Armia, Brendan Lemieux, Tyler Myers, Drew Stafford, and a first round pick. Buffalo gets Zach Bogosian, Jason Kastorf, and. Who the hell? Winnipeg to Buffalo. Yes. In 2015. Oh boy, this is a while ago. Um, yep. This is a blockbuster, though. As you can probably already tell. Yeah. All those pieces. That's right. Hmm. I cannot fathom who this might be. This is too far back. I imagine I will do much better at the more recent ones. Who? Yoel Armia was there. Brendan Lemieux. Hmm. Do you want me to repeat anything? No, it's okay. I've, I'm not going to get this. Who, who this? The answer is Evander Kane. Ah. Okay. The famous Vander Kane trade. Oh, all right. right. I forgot he was in Buffalo for a bit. Go ahead. Yep. June 30th, 2015. Chicago gets Artem Anisimov, Marco Dano, Jeremy Morin, Corey Trupp, and a fourth round pick. Columbus gets Alex Broadhurst, Michael Pagliotta, and... Uh, Chicago to Columbus. Sounds like... The Saad trade with Nisimov in there. Yeah. Brendan Saad. Well done. Well done. Nice. I wasn't sure you'd get that one after okay. missing Evander Kane. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Next one. Right, February 9th, 2016. Toronto gets Jared Cowan, Colin Greening, Tobias Lindbergh, Milan Mahalik, and a second round pick. Ottawa gets Casey Bailey, Cody Donahue, Matt Fratton, Ryan Rupert, and... Uh, this is Dion Phaneuf. Wow. I thought that was going to be much more instantaneous. Yeah. Oh, it took <laughs> me a second. It took me all, all these, okay. yeah, all these nobodies. Fuck. But yeah. Yeah. All these nobodies. Okay. Next one. Next one's a little tough. I think. Okay. I'd be surprised if you got this one, to be honest. All right. July 12th, 2018. Chicago gets Andrew Campbell. Mackenzie Entwistle, Marcus Kruger, Jordan Maletta, and a fifth-round pick. Arizona gets Vinny Henestroza, Jordan Osterley, a third-round pick, and... What the hell? From Chicago to Dead Arizona. Dead silence. Yeah. This is not clicking. Yeah, who the hell is this? Marion Hosa. Oh, really? Interesting. Yep. Was that it's dead dump? money. That was a cap yes. dump, eh? Okay. Yeah, I was never going to get that one. Yeah. But uh-huh. by far the most important part of the deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I should have clued into that. The fact that the, the, the picks going the other way were better than the shit going back to Chicago. Yes. Seemed like a cap dump. Um, oh, well. Yep. Absolutely. So you've got two wrong already. So you've got to run the table. Um, no problem. In order to meet the first threshold and you know what i think you can do it i really like, do as i was saying uh i feel like the recent ones gonna be much easier to remember if the you know the same format the format seems much more amenable to recent I will, things yeah 
well, so basically how I ended up doing this, which was not intentional from the start, they are moving forward chronologically in time, but they then they will start moving backward again. So, oh, okay. Uh, the next right. trade I'm going to tell you is the most recent one of them all, okay. and then it's going to start moving backwards. So, sure. August 25th, 2020. Toronto gets Philip Hollander, Evan Rodriguez, David Warsawski, first round pick. Pittsburgh gets Pontus Auberg, Jesper Lindgren, and uh, this is the this is the Kapanen trade, right? The first one. Yep. Well done. Yeah. We talked about right. it today. So yeah, that's the one. All Next. right, solid. September thirteenth, two thousand eighteen. Ottawa gets Rudolph Balsers, Dylan Demello, Josh Norris, Chris Tierney, a first round pick, a second round pick, and a second round pick. San Jose gets Francis Perron and. Uh, wait, you said the first thing was, it was, do I say that again? The whole thing? Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah, Ottawa gets Rudolph Balsers, Dylan DeMello, Josh Norris, Chris Tierney, a first, a second, and a second. Eric Carlson. Yes, okay. All right. Well done. And that first rounder became Timmy Stutzla. Crazy. Mm. Um, September 17th, 2015. This one may be a little tricky, I gotta okay. say. Sure. The New York Islanders get Taylor Beck, Matt Finn, Christopher Gibson, Tom Nielsen, and Carter Verhage. Oh, hell Toronto no, gets... Okay, yeah. Oh, that's it? That's the end of the sentence? Yeah, Toronto gets one player. That's a lot of Toronto trades, eh? What the hell is up with that? Yeah, sure is. Um, Who? From the Islanders to the Maple Leafs. This is in 2015... Yep. Yeah, I was under the impression this was going to get easier. Who the hell is this? Uh, Islanders to the Maple Leafs. Huh. No clue. Do I'm going to tell you? Please. Michael Grabner. <laughs> what are you doing sneaking him into the back of the back of the quiz, huh? What is this? What this do you is mean? A trap. It's a trap. I thought you might like all oh, the famous all oh, Toronto give up five players for Michael Grabner, that whole situation. Uh, thought you might remember it. I didn't. But uh oh well. Alright. Well, we are all retroactively right, well. adjusting the threshold to seven. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, sure. Sure thing. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Alright. Let's see. Why right. not? I think I think you'll get these last two. I really do. Okay. July first, twenty fifteen. Toronto again. Gets Scott Harrington, Kasperi Kapanen, Nick Spalling, a first-round pick and a third-round pick. Pittsburgh gets Tyler Biggs, Tim Erickson, a second-round pick, and... Philip Kessel. Indeed. That Cap- I hadn't realized until now Kapanen was involved in two different six-player trades between Toronto and Pittsburgh. <laughs> five years apart. Yeah, another Leafs trade. What is this? You kidding me? <laughs> yep, they make a lot of lots of player deals. It's so bizarre. Just how it is. Yeah. Last right. one. June thirtieth, two thousand and nine. Oh boy, what are you doing to me, man? Montreal gets Michael Busto, Scott Gomez, and Tom Pyatt. The New York Rangers get Chris Higgins, Doug Janik, Pavel Valentenko, and Oh well he, Scott Gomez is the biggest asset in this train, though. You wouldn't say so? No. Ryan McDonald. Not Yeah, yeah. I, well I mean but maybe at the time you're correct. Yeah. Actually, now that I think of it, but whatever, not anymore. It's okay, I figured not, it out. Yeah, uh-huh. not after history has had its say. Well, obviously, but uh, I thought I'd throw that one in for fun at the end. What a joke! 
Good times. Funny vibes. Thank you. Uh, all right. Seven out of ten. I think what really did me over was that was that that first miss. It was Evander Kane. Evander Kane, Kane yeah. Should have had that one. That Big was the L. make or break. Yeah, it was. I didn't even know it at the time. But I had just lost the quiz on question two. All right. Solid quiz. Um, yep. Good shit. Glad you enjoyed it. Very nice. So, All yeah, right, so for this week, I'm thinking we we don't do a team since it's deadline week, um, and we'll kind of just go over all the trades. Sounds good. Next time, although I I have to say, this has been an absurd amount of trades for pre-deadline. You know that like, is true. Two days ago, uh, yeah, Sunday felt like deadline day. It really did. You know, like who has the you know like yeah, you obviously you have some pieces like Gavrikov and whatnot, but it's, it's fucking Vladislav Gavrikov. Uh, you know, like guys like Meyer. And oh yeah, Chick. There's but still some big names know. there. Chikrin's there, but like we don't even know if Chikrin's gonna move. You know, like that's not even confirmed, right? This is not like a, he's being, a UFA. Situation. He's literally he's being scratched for trade related reasons. I feel like they're gonna make something happen. You know, or but like you know, if the, if the deal isn't there, are they gonna force their like you know? Force yes, their they, hand. You think so? I really think so. Okay, all right. So we'll see. Yeah, I like the. Janot trade especially, that felt like something that comes in, that trickles in after 3 p.m. on deadline day. Yeah. Uh, and everyone goes, whoa. Kind of like the Anthony Manta trade from a couple years ago. Similar vibes, which was a right. deadline day deal that no one really saw coming. Yeah. So just just bizarre in that it's it's all come in like a big rush. And I'm all like constantly seeing these trades. And I'm like, is it trade deadline day? No, it's still like half a week away. Um Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, people often will be like, oh, this means like deadline day will be like slower. And I don't necessarily buy into that anymore. I think what it means is there will be more surprises on deadline. Because when deadline day comes, there are teams who missed out on the big names and still want to improve their team. So what that ends up being increasingly is that players get traded to those teams that we didn't even realize were necessarily on the block. And things materialize quicker on de- deadline day that we didn't see coming because the big predictable names already moved. You think so? Eh? Interesting, because the way I see it, it's like all these Eastern teams that we talked about, right? The big juggernauts, the, all six of them, have kind of already loaded up already. You know, they... I, I think Carolina may not be done. Um, okay. I think well, Kane's still going to the Rangers. Yeah. Um, and yeah, even even though those big juggernauts have loaded up, like you know, teams in the West haven't, as we talked about before, and I don't think. Uh, like as, like Vegas has a ton of cap room. Edmonton just cleared up cap room from the Puliyarvi trade, you know. So it's it's not like uh, like these teams are are done. Like teams are ready to uh, ready to make moves down to the wire. Yeah, I think you're you're right. I and mean, there's a lot of potential for trades in the West right now for them to acquire a bunch of pieces. So that's the the place to look. Um, yeah, no teams are are still manipulating to to open up that cap space. You have to imagine they're they're out there to acquire something. You know, hell, maybe the maybe the senators, huh? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like in the race now. Um, I guess if you're being generous. Oh, did you see, uh, so did you see the rumor that like Brock Besser and Luke Shen were going to be packaged and going to Calgary. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, huh. that that would be fun, man. What's with this packaging? Yeah. The, the team's got to stop with this packaging, man. I said it earlier. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> it's a mess. Um, just make two trades. <laughs> yeah. Stop being lazy. That's what it is. You're being lazy. As the selling general manager, you don't want to fucking make two trade calls. You don't want to fuck around and find two partners. So you're like, oh, you'll take them too? Sure. Here, have them at a discount. Absurd. I think it's also the buying teams cleverly going, hey, can we take that player too? Yeah. Because, 
Yeah, I think well, you know what? I get it. Awesome. It's like me when I'm making my fantasy trades. You know, I'm like, oh, I'll take this piece. He's your start piece. But you know what? I'll take this guy who I also really like as your dump. You know, like, yeah, well, we'll even it out. Uh huh. Smart teams Absolutely. do that. Only yeah, fools our fall fantasy for it, trade deadline's coming up in less than a week as well. Yeah, and I think we're playing each other this week. Although, like, I have fallen we off are. a cliff recently, so you know, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Meanwhile, but... I'm I'm peaking at the right time. I'm in second okay. place in the league, and I've yeah. solidified my my cushion there a little bit. Have you? I don't know. Well, you, you're probably going to lose to me this week, just uh, because no. my team is so good. Um, so <laughs> you might be you might, you might be tied. You might be into heading into a race. Our last week of the regular season is next week, actually, right? So mm-hmm. we shall see. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Any bold predictions for deadline week? What's going to happen? Both. Um, I say Chicken goes to the Oilers. Is that, wow. Yeah. I say they do it. You know what? No. My. Okay. You know, I say they 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 bait their fans with a thing that triggered. I think they're gonna get fucking Vladislav Gavrikov. I think that's their acquisition. I think that'd be really funny. And I, that's you know, I've changed my mind. My bold take: Gavrikov to the Oilers. Peak comedy. My bold take: Mike Hoffman to the Oilers. <laughs> Please make it happen. Both Gavrikov and Hoffman. Mm. Oh, breaking trade! Did Good you one. see that? Oh, two. Uh, no, Henry. Wait, don't Thune. tell me. Oh fuck! Uh, <laughs> that's a that's like a ducks prospect, right? Yeah. Or was? Where'd yeah, he go? Formerly went to San Jose for third round pick. That's, wow, that's the trade. That's the trade. Oh, see, I'm gonna need time to process this and give my thoughts on next week's episode. It's right. just too big for me to process at this time. More so on that note, then. yeah. On that note, thanks for listening to this week's Fusion and Hockey podcast. I imagine we'll be back on Sunday next week. Uh, finally, back on that Sunday grind. And there will definitely be tons more to talk about. The end. <laughs> <laughs>